This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malott. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 1. This season highlights the stories of immigrants and refugees from all around the world, as well as some organizations that work with and for these beautiful people. In the previous episode, the trio of women that comprise the law firm, The Lawyer Lady, related the circumstances of their personal lives that caused them to be drawn to immigration law. We were also informed of the top three myths on immigration that they butt up against on a consistent basis. We tackled the first myth in episode nine. In this episode, we wrap up a few more details about what happens if you overstay your visa in the United States and then dive into debunking myths two and three. Please be sure to check out the show notes for a complete list of references for each of the statistics used in our discussion. So if you let your visa lapse and you don't renew it, then you are officially undocumented. You are an overstayer. An overstayer, okay. Which comes with some That comes with penalties? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're not a permanent legal resident at that point. You no, never are if you're here on a tourist visa. A tourist okay. visa, student visa, um, fiance work visa. visa. Do they yeah. send people out to look for you? They can. They tend to focus on more dangerous okay. folks, but we have seen lots of raids lately at just workplaces. And mm-hmm. so you don't have to have a bad criminal history in order to be the victim of raids. Hmm. Yeah, it also depends on where you are. They're the sanctuary cities that mm-hmm. protect people from um, too much cooperation with ICE. If you're pulled over for a traffic ticket, there's in some cities, they're not the policeman's not allowed to um, to contact ICE and say this person doesn't oh, have documentation. Really nice. But those are they're free, they're pretty few and far between. Yeah. yeah. So you can't get a license if you're undocumented or you overstay. A visa? It, again, it depends on where you are. It depends Colorado, where you are. In Colorado, you can. Yeah. Oh, okay. Colorado has... That's relatively recent. I think it's a, a new, newish program um, that they will allow people without legal status to get a driver's license. So if you but, get pulled over, you're undocumented, but you have a license, they're not going to say, show me your passport or show me your papers. You're just going to show them your license, and you're just can just treated as normal, correct? Mm-hmm. One would hope so. One would yeah. hope so. Yeah. Okay. But the license is... In quotes marked, so it it does. You know, whoever's looking at the ID knows that the certain driver's license that they have is for undocumented people. Oh, so it does. You know, give a hint. So the license is not the same as that I would have. Oh no. Okay. I've always been really scared of that because <laughs> that's kind of like putting yourself out there. You know, it is. Yeah. Letting Colorado know that you're here undocumented, and I just. <clears throat> I just don't trust. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. But I understand where, you know, like the immigrants are coming from, where they need a driver's license and, you know, they'll they'll do it and they're okay with it. But I personally, I just, it's too much of a risk. Yes. Uh-huh. They have little codes on the driver's licenses. Okay. I have like a personal <laughs> story about that too. Oh, yeah, but tell us. If, like, let's say my parents didn't have legal status and I turned age where I can get a permit. Mm-hmm. If neither of my parents had any status, then I couldn't get a permit or my driver's license before I was 18. 
because the DMV needs, you know, their information. And a lot of people don't have what the, the DMV requires for your child, even though your child is a U.S. citizen. So I've seen a lot of kids locally, you know, having to wait until they're 18 because their parents don't have status. So then they can't apply for the permit. I had no idea. It mm-hmm. trickles down. It's it trickles constantly down. affecting the kids. Yeah. Do kids from these families grow up with a lot of resentment? I don't think so. Or they understand what's happening. I think it's more frustration because, you know, they just want to be able to do what every other kid Mm -hmm. is doing. Mm -hmm. And they can't. You know, they can't travel. You know, they can't do family vacations. They can't go, you know, during Christmas. They can't go visit family members outside of the country. You know, it's, it's, they're very limited to what they can do. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is frustration and yes, all yes. they want to do is for their parents to, you know, have some sort of legal status, but that's just so hard. Even with this U.S. citizen child, it's really hard. I'm mm-hmm. sorry to hear that. Yeah, we definitely could use some more compassionate policies. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm hoping that starting this conversation will open people's eyes up to those kinds of things and maybe yeah. we yeah. will start voting for more, mm-hmm. for people who choose compassion and humanity over rule of law. We can always hope, right? Okay, who would like to clarify the second myth that illegal immigrants are taking all our jobs? I will take that one. Um, So this is another one that I think is so pervasive and the statistics on this are so eye-opening and really encouraging. Um, So I'm really excited to share some of these and I guess I first want to just acknowledge that If you're obviously looking on a really micro level, obviously it's true that there are some U.S. citizens who have lost out on some jobs to immigrants. Um, I think we're just being dishonest if we don't acknowledge that that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that is misleading when you are looking at on such a micro level like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're really not getting the full picture. It's like that old adage about people, you know, they have all the blind men who are touching the elephant. And yes. everyone has a different idea about what an elephant is because they're grabbing the trunk or the skinny little tail or the big leg. And um, so I really want us to help look at the, the full picture of what the elephant really looks like and Excellent. what the effect that um, the immigration workforce has in America. Great. Um, so three key points that I want to walk us through. Okay. The first is that we have to acknowledge that the number of jobs in America is not finite. And that is such a fabulous, wonderful thing. We don't want it to be finite. Mm-hmm. We want the economy to be growing all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you are invested in the stock market in any way, um, which so people, so many people are through a 401k or some other retirement vehicle, um, then you certainly want that money to grow. You want the economy to keep growing. Um, so it's really important that we realize that we need an expanding number of people if we want to keep our economy um, growing. So there are so many people who come here as immigrants and are able to help grow a business Um, create new businesses out of thin air Mm -hmm. and also to grow the ones that already exist and find new ways to put people to work. Mm -hmm. So I'll throw a few statistics at you. Um, According to the U.S. Labor Department in 2018, immigrants were about 40% of the 2.4 million new jobs that were added to the economy that year. Wow. So these are brand new, shiny new jobs that we wouldn't have had without these new people coming here to work them. 
Um, and 40%, I mean, that's, that's almost half uh-huh. of all of the new jobs that are uh-huh. getting created. Um, another interesting little tidbit, it's a, a startlingly high number of the uh, Fortune 500 companies in America that were started by, by U.S. immigrants. Yes. By immigrants to the U.S. Good so, point. Yeah, so true. They, um, the idea of all immigrants living in poverty is, is very untrue. Immigrant-owned businesses here in the United States um, usually have on average about 11 employees, which is a pretty good number. So they're, they're coming here and creating new jobs that both immigrants or U.S. citizens could fill. Fantastic. Um, the second thing that I, I think we have to keep in mind is that the U.S. birth rate is falling, and it's falling kind of hard and fast. I was just going to ask you about that. I read an article just the other day about that. I'm glad you're speaking to it. Yeah, um, it is, we're at about half the birth rate that we were in mm-hmm. roughly 1950, the, you know, the baby boomer generation. Um, and that is below replacement rate. Mm-hmm. So we are not even replacing ourselves, let alone um, bringing enough new babies into the world to grow the economy and to create new jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the UN has a lot of models that I can't begin to understand, but their prediction is that those birth rates are going to hold um, pretty steady for mm-hmm. at least the next 50 years or so. Um, so again, if you want an expanding economy, and you do want an expanding economy, we can't get there with a shrinking population and a shrinking workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so bottom line, we need more humans, mm-hmm. and we are not, we're not getting the job done on our own. Mm. Um, so bringing more people here is actually really important to um, to growing the economy. Excellent point. Um, the third thing that I think people are not aware of and tend to have a misconception about is that there's this general idea that immigrants don't pay taxes. Even if you are here as an undocumented immigrant, you can pay taxes. And the reality is that most of them do. Um, according to one study, they paid about on average, I think it's about $90 billion in taxes every year that come from immigrants. Wow. Um, that's news to a lot of people. How yeah. do they pay taxes without Social Security card? That's such a great question. Um, <laughs> and it's, yeah, another huge um, misconception that people have is, well, you know, you don't have a Social Security number, so how could you even pay taxes? Of course they're not paying taxes. But the IRS is very smart. They know what they're doing, and they are smart enough to realize that there are a lot of people here who don't have social security numbers, mm-hmm. um, but they still want their taxes. So um, it's pretty simple. You can um, contact the IRS and get what's called an ITIN, an individual taxpayer mm-hmm. identification number. And when you file your taxes, instead of putting in a social security number, you put in your ITIN and that's it. The IRS. They just want their money. They are not concerned with who you are and where you came from. Interesting. Um, I remember one of the things um, that I learned in law school that I thought was so surprising was that criminals are paying taxes. Like criminals are still. If you're a drug, you know, drug kingpin, um, you're supposed to be paying taxes on all of that income. The IRS doesn't care. They're not the ones who put you in jail. They just want your money. They just want your money. And it's the same oh, wow. mentality for undocumented workers. You know, they just don't care. Um, what the backstory is, just tell us how much you're earning and pay us the fair amount of taxes. Um, wow. So it's the majority of even undocumented immigrants who are here are paying taxes. 
And we need that money. That, mm-hmm. that money goes a long way to the U.S. Treasury. That's a huge chunk of change. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also really important to, to realize that a lot of that is going to Social Security. This gets back to the shrinking population and the shrinking workforce mm-hmm. that um, I think most people are aware that Social Security is really struggling right now. Mm-hmm. And we're all really concerned about where it's going to go in the future. And more young people, more workers is... Um, a solution to that problem. Um, the other solution is we all just pay a heck of a lot more in yes. social security tax than we are right now, which I don't think is nearly as palatable to anybody. Yes. Um, so to any of the doubters out there who are thinking that undocumented immigrants can't or don't pay taxes, that's it's just not the reality. What about, I don't know if you're going to speak to this, but this just popped into my head. Um, I've also heard this argument that kind of goes along the lines of what you're talking about. Well, they don't pay taxes, and they come and they take all our welfare. We are paying for them to go to the doctor. Yeah, so I quoted you that statistic about them, uh, immigrants as a whole, paying about $90 billion mm-hmm. in taxes every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take out about $5 billion in welfare every year. Ah. So that is an $85 billion net benefit to mm-hmm. the USA Um it's also uh, a very interesting topic, um, especially just this year, because it was only a few months ago um, that a new, even stricter system was put into place to prevent people from, um, from coming to the United States uh, and obtaining some sort of legal status here if they are someone who is deemed likely to be a public charge, in other words, mm-hmm. someone who's likely to be mm-hmm. um, dependent on welfare in some way. Um, I think it's really important to note that there has always been a system in place to um, prevent people from coming here who were very, very likely to be dependent on some kind of public welfare. Um, it That goes back, I think, as far as the... Um, that throughout American history, there mm-hmm. has been an effort to make sure that people who were going to come here could actually work and weren't just going to become, quote, wards of the state. Um, and it's recently become even more stringent and more difficult. Right now, you have to demonstrate that you um, will be able to earn 150% of the poverty level um, before you can get a pass to come here. There's a whole litany of factors Goodness. that um, are taken into effect. A lot of people think that it has swung too far, and I've heard some people put it this way, that you have to basically have already achieved the American dream before you mm-hmm. are allowed to come mm-hmm. and take a shot at achieving the American dream. Um, so I tend to agree with that. I think it's it's gotten a little bit too difficult now um, with some of the recent changes that have been in place, but it is always a factor that um, potential immigrants have had to contend with and to demonstrate to the United States that we are not just going to come here and depend on welfare. We can stand on our own two feet and we can work. And the statistics that I was giving you about how much they pay in taxes and, um, you know, how big of a role they play in creating new jobs, um, it's, I think, should really help people understand and put it into perspective just how critical they are to the economy. So a few more stats. We just got got our hands on these yesterday. Um, the American Immigration Council put these numbers out, and these these are right here at home in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for 2018, which is the last year that we have full data, um, immigrants here in Colorado are about 10% of our population. They pay about $3.5 billion in federal taxes and about $1.5 billion in state taxes. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So it's we really are um, dependent on these folks. They have about $14.2 billion in spending power if you're looking at immigrant-led households in, uh-huh. just in Colorado. Uh-huh. Um, so their dollars are very beneficial to the to the American economy and to the American treasury every single year. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for explaining that. My pleasure. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Immigrant and Refugee Center of Northern Colorado, making Northern Colorado a home for all who live here. Whatever circumstances brought you to Northern Colorado, we are so glad you're here now. IRC NOCO is here to help you find your way. We want to be the doorway through which cross-cultural sharing and experiences occur. Whether you are new to this area or you are a part of the receiving community, we want to be your resource for information and services related to moving our community forward together. Through information sharing, dialogue, and events where we can all come together as one, we are investing into our shared prosperity. Empower, connect, advocate. Learn more at www.ircnoco.org. The last myth that has been purported by our president um, was that he called people coming from Mexico bad hombres and murderers. Is this true? Why or why not? Well, the vast majority of people coming through the border are not criminals. So I would say that it is vastly untrue. Um, But rather, this population are, for the most part, are good, hardworking people who are um, like me and my family, trying mm-hmm. to find a better life for themselves and their families, many are trying to escape life-threatening situations. And while every population has bad apples, I mean, we can't deny that. We have bad apples in the U.S., mm-hmm. there's bad apples in Mexico, there's bad apples in every country. Mm-hmm. Um, research overwhelmingly indicates that immigrants are less likely than U.S. citizens to commit any crimes, much less murder. So, for example, the National Police Foundation, which is a research organization that works with police forces across the nation, found that incarceration rates for immigrant populations is lower than for the U.S.-born population. It also found that as the immigration population increases, especially the undocumented population, the rates of violent crimes and property crimes in the U.S. decrease significantly, and in some instances, to historic lows. Mm. Wow. Um, Data from the U.S. Census and a wide range of other studies show that for every ethnic group, without exception, incarceration rates among young men are lowest for immigrants, even those who are the least educated. This holds true especially for Mexicans, Salvadorans, Uh and Guatemalans. Those are the the people the president often refers to as the bad hombres. Yeah, the ones we want to vilify. Yes, but Mm -hmm. they they make up the bulk of the undocumented population. And in Mm -hmm. fact, among males ages 18 to 39, which is the prime age for engaging in criminal behavior, the incarceration rate among immigrants is one-fourth the rate among U.S. citizens. 
unbelievable. We do not want to hold that mirror up to ourselves, do we? We don't want to look at our own problem. It's so much easier to project it onto some other culture or somebody else. It certainly is. That is a fascinating statistic. Mm-hmm. And when you when you focus on other nationalities and cultures, it's easy to vilify them when you're not looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the patterns that the, the statistics that I gave these are patterns that have been observed consistently over the last five decades. Consistently. Consistently. Wow. So it's not a fluke that you know studies have come out and you know last year or the year before are showing these statistics. This has been observed for many many years. Mm-hmm. Um, studies by the Marshall Project and Governing Magazine reported that the metropolitan areas with more undocumented residents actually had lower rates of violent crime and significantly lower rates of property crime than areas with smaller numbers of such residents. And in fact, the author of the analysis in Governing Magazine found that for every one percentage point increase in an area's population that was undocumented, there were 94 fewer property crimes per 100,000 residents. So the bottom line is if you add undocumented immigrants to your yes. population, the crime rate is actually reduced. Those are great. Yes. Yeah. yes. I love that statistic. And I, I think I like that magazine. I think I'm going to need to start reading that one. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah. So uh, wow. there are many reasons why immigrants are less likely than United States citizens to commit crimes. But from our work experience mm-hmm. in an immigration law office, we see that for undocumented immigrants, being arrested for any reason would, would mean facing eventual deportation. Mm-hmm. And for some, a return to whatever terrible situation they'd, start, they'd sought to escape from home. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, there are about 650,000 dreamers in the U.S. who have received temporary status through the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, mm-hmm. um, otherwise known as DACA. Mm-hmm. And in Colorado alone, we have about 14,700 dreamers. If they commit serious crimes, they could lose their status. Really? Yeah. And immigrants who have green cards or otherwise known as legal permanent residents, uh-huh. they also potenti- potentially face the loss of their legal status, deportation, and being barred from returning to the U.S. after committing serious crimes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to think badly about things we don't know about. Exactly. Different things are scary. Things, yes. People who are different are scary. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. So that's why we need to learn. We need to educate ourselves, right? I should have um, made a note of this statistic, but I did see recently that... Um, so the majority of our undocumented clients, who are mostly from Mexico and other Central American countries, have clean criminal histories, with the exception of entering the country illegally, mm-hmm. which is made into a crime. Mm-hmm. The fear of returning to a country where they will face persecution, the risk of being separated from their families in the U.S., and the stripping of their livelihoods are enough to deter them from getting involved in criminal activity. Mm-hmm. It sure is. None of us know what we would do if we were forced to be in the situation where it's life or death. We can't make judgments because we don't know. We wouldn't do the exact same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man. And coming from, you know, like the immigrant, you know, Mexican culture, mm-hmm. my dad always told us, you know, if you want something, you have to work for it. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing. You can't go and do something, you know, criminal to get where you want to do because that's not right. It's not honest. So even my dad, I remember, like, having multiple jobs, you know, working every day. And this is most of the immigrants where they, yes. you know, work a 40-hour job, but then they also have two part-time jobs. Mm-hmm. So 
I know a lot of people who work from 4 in the morning all the way up to like 7 p.m. And, you know, the weekends, they'll take anything, you know, to bring in that income that they need. That's incredible. Even I worked as a child. <laughs> what a <laughs> you know, hard we, work On the ethic. weekends, you know, we used to prepare food for parties, you mm -hmm. know, that people would hire my dad because he's an amazing cook. And, uh, you know, I remember serving, you know, we would go to these huge weddings or parties and I was like 10 and I would be carrying around this huge, what's it called? Um, a platter. tray, tray yeah uh -huh. full of like five you know dishes and I would just go around the tables and oh serve people mm -hmm. and at home I'd be cutting up the lemons and the cilantro and washing dishes so it was you know we they teach you yes you know that you're supposed to work and do it the right way no matter what it takes even if you don't have a day off that is just, so admirable you know, if I wanted something if I wanted a pair of shoes even if they cost $20, and we would buy them at the Suwami, you uh -huh. know, like something uh -huh. that's not name brand or anything like yeah. that. I would have to work for it, Yeah. even at that young age, so you don't just get it. You just can't. I wouldn't just say, oh, Dad, I need new shoes. Oh, yeah, there you go. Let's go to the mall and get you some shoes. No, it was so different. We can all so, learn from your dad. Yeah, that's and incredible. from everybody. I think mm -hmm. most of the Latino, Hispanic and everybody, you know, mm -hmm. I think we all just kind of go through that, mm -hmm. you know, making it here. Mm -hmm. Well, it's definitely a different mindset than the entitled mindset mm -hmm. that the privileged people have. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's more positive that comes from that it than is. that comes from yeah. expecting things to always go your way. Yeah. But it's nice to have had that experience. I, I think it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, if I wouldn't have had gone through that, I don't think I would be who I am today. So true. Do you have, any of you, have a favorite case or client um, that has impacted or changed the way you think about the immigrant population for better? I have a story. Yeah. Can I go? Mm -hmm. Do you? Okay. So I, I think I've learned something from every client we have. Mm -hmm. um, and they all have changed me for the better in one way or another. Um, but my first immigration client will always have a special place in my heart. Mm -hmm. um, she was from Cameroon. There she was an activist and she was advocating on behalf of LGBT rights, much to the government's ire because homosexuality was is criminalized mm -hmm. in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. um, and at one of her community meetings, a group of government soldiers stormed the room and arrested her. But rather than providing her with any kind of due process, or fair treatment, they beat her, they tortured her, raped her, and left her for dead by a lake. But she survived. And if she would have stayed in Cameroon, the government would have pursued her and made sure she was actually dead. So she had no choice but to flee from Cameroon, uh -huh. and she left behind a young son and her husband. Oh. She came to the U.S., and that's where I met her and helped her file for asylum. She's one of my favorite clients because despite all that she had suffered, she still believes in the goodness of humanity. She has this light um, that she exudes. She exudes strength, kindness, mm -hmm. and grace. And you would never know by meeting her that she had gone through all these horrors and that she endured so much. Um, but it's because of clients like her that I've gained more perspective on life. Mm -hmm. They inspire me to be strong and continue fighting for justice and the good of humanity. Oh, that's incredible. I love that story. And you were able to help her. Yes. Good. I don't think I have a favorite case because they're all 
really good cases and I think I enjoy working on all of them. But a situation that we went through on one of the cases was kind of, to me, life-changing because wow. um, as, a, as a law firm, you really, you know, do your work, you know, legally and paperwork and do what you got to do to help this person and that's it. Mm-hmm. There are boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, but we had a, a case where there was a young girl who was here who had come from her home country seeking asylum, running away from gang violence, mm-hmm. um, and she was detained and here in in Colorado and I remember when we helped her get out of the detention center she had nobody in Colorado all of you know the people she knew I don't remember exactly what other state Kentucky or Kentucky somewhere and she had as soon as she was going to get released she was going to be in the street so (laughs) we um decided to go pick her up uh, when she was going to get released from detention and I remember sitting there with Autumn. I think Carla hadn't joined us but back then, but um, we were sitting in our cars just waiting for those gates, you know, for to start seeing people come out of the detention mm-hmm. center. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people were lined up, and she was one of those. She was the only woman, and the rest were men. Mm-hmm. I remember as soon as they opened the gates, oh my God, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, they opened the gates. It's okay. I love your sensitive heart. That shows the humanity. That she has one of the biggest hearts I love that, that I know in There's this no entire shame. world. She, There's she, no shame in yeah. that. You, you know what? She is lucky to have you. That is awesome. Yeah, I actually have a video of this because I was recording. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it was what, like 20 minutes? Maybe it's on our Facebook if you want to see. Oh, it. Yeah. great! Yeah. Okay. Um, they started coming out and they were yelling in Spanish. You know, they were throwing their socks on the ground, going to the grass and just yelling. You know, we're free, we're free, and just land. And they were just praising a God. Oh my goodness! I was, was just the ground and yeah. Oh my goodness! I was just watching, and I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. Mm-mm. You know, these people were coming, um, running away from, most likely running away from violence, and they come here, and that's what they get. You know, being in a detention center, Yet they're still happy when they get out, and they're kissing the ground. They're not bitter towards the people (laughs) who are holding them. They still have gratitude after all they've been through. They are released from these barbed wire gates, metal chink line fences, and they come out and they kiss the ground and they praise their Lord in gratitude. I want that attitude of humility and of thankfulness in all things. That's that's something we people, we say it in, in flippant usage. That is, that's the reality of what it is, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's a beautiful thing to witness. We were the only ones there, you know, waiting for somebody you oh. know, to be picked up. The rest of them... You know, I had to go to a local, you know, shelter for immigrants, you know, who helped them, you know, get them to their destination, whether it's another state or to help them, you know, start looking mm-hmm. for employment so they can, you know, find a living mm-hmm. space. So, yeah, it was really hard. I didn't cry at that time because I was like... You actually did. I you did. don't remember this. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I can see how that's life-changing. That but would... Yeah. I remember that day so much. That's beautiful. Thank and you And I so think much. ever since then, like, 
I just, um, we have a client and they come in and they're like, we have no money, you know, but we need help. I don't know what to do. And that's when I'm just like, oh my God, like we have to help them, you know? No, like we can't say no. If we don't, nobody else is going to. So I don't want to be that person that turns somebody away, you know, just because they don't have money. Yeah. So... It seems that experience is seared on your heart mm-hmm. and just kind of motivates you with everything that you yeah. do. I I'm just love... sad the video's not clear because <laughs> the sun was right yeah. on, in front of the camera so you can't really see it, but you can hear it and just listening to it, it's, it's so heartbreaking. Oh, I'm going to go look that up Yeah. after this. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, sorry. Oh, that gave me the goosebumps <laughs> oh, when you were telling me. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Oh, you should never sorry. apologize for your no. heart. You make me cry too. You should never apologize <laughs> sorry, sorry. for having a big heart. That's so, what so much of this is about. I think mm-hmm. all of us need to expand our hearts, the capacity in our hearts. We shut down and put up walls because we're that sensitive, because we hate to see people um, suffering, and we're afraid maybe one day that might be me. I'm just going to ignore it or something. And mm-hmm. Just the beauty of people like you and, like you said, those aid organizations that helped those mm-hmm. other uh, detainees find a place to sleep at night. I'm glad there's people like that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good-hearted people. There's... We just don't hear that, those stories that's as often, yeah. because those type of people are not out there tooting their horns. <laughs> yeah, but... that's very true. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Carla, do you have anything you'd like to share? Uh, I... Gosh, that's a hard act to follow, Rocio. <laughs> uh, so many of our clients are just such wonderful human beings and they are so inspiring um each individual story is so compelling all on its own um but yeah I, I think for me each and every person that walks through our door they are so happy to be here and they are just they are you know we talked about the myth of the right way they are wanting with all of their hearts to do things the right way and mm-hmm. um it's just that like we talked about the the pathways are so narrow and there are so few of them. Um, but it is so rewarding when we can help somebody fit within one of those narrow pathways and find a way to come here. And yeah, every single one of them has had such an impact on me. And you see that um, just the hunger in them to stay here and really build a life um, and contribute. And it's Every single one of them is, is very, very inspiring, and it really makes you um, just want to work hard and do the best you can for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So changes how you live your life, your perspective, what you think is normal, or what, what, what a hard day becomes is completely different, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I've never come home to, to death threats under my door. Um, yeah, I've never had my freedom threatened or... Um, I mean, the list of stories goes on and on, Mm. but yeah, you said the good people of the world aren't tooting their horns, but I want to toot the horns of these two because they built this firm that I was lucky enough to join and they are so big hearted. And, um, as Rocio was saying, we just, we can't say no to people who Mm -hmm. come in and this is not a super lucrative thing that we do, um, but it's for such a good cause and. Yeah, if there are any other lawyers out there listening to this, it's so important to to donate your time, and you don't have to go full bar like like we have and do it full time, but mm-hmm. to you know take on cases pro bono and 
donate time I think is is so important because it's an area where there's so so much need yes there is I am so thankful you guys exist I'm so thankful you are there for the people who I hold so close in my heart I'm so thankful there's somebody with such sensitivity with who has a global mindset who who wishes for the best for humanity well, I wish the best for you guys Thank you. Thank you. I think we felt some of that already. I feel like the universe provides. Like mm-hmm. it, you know, we've mm-hmm. we just follow our hearts, and it it seems like the universe has just provided for us, and we're very grateful for that too. Yeah. Um. Well, we're going to end with the closing questions that I ask everybody. What is your best tip for making the world a better place? And we'll start with Rocio. Oh man, I just think we need more helping hands. Um. I think if we would, and um, I think our world would be very different mm-hmm. if we all just, you know, those who are not, you know, really willing to listen and look at other people's stories and perspectives and put themselves in other people's shoes, those that are suffering, I think if they did, we wouldn't be where we are today. So true. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. Thank you. Autumn? Be kind and be helpful. Mm-hmm. Short and sweet. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I think pay attention, question everything. If you hear somebody making a statement about um, any kind of generalization or stereotype, um, just run it through your own filter and do your own research and make sure that you are always asking um, the harder questions and not just taking things at face value. Mm. Um, yeah, and always, always be kind. I like that. There's a quote. Um, did, you, did anybody ever read that book, Wonder? Where I never did. They, in that book, says, um, if you have the option to be right or kind, always choose kind. Mm-hmm. And I read that when my kids were younger, and that became one of our mantras. I love that. That goes along with what you say so beautifully. Mm-hmm. All right. Rocio, mm-hmm. what are you the most thankful for? Oh, man. Oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Multi-part um, answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it all goes back to my parents and how they risked everything to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't be here mm-hmm. helping. You know, everybody that needs the mm-hmm. the same help. Probably my parents received as well when they came here. So I think that's like the starting point, and everything that came after. I mean, I'm thankful for everything. You're thankful for the good and the bad mm-hmm. because they made you who you are. Yeah. I love that. That's such a mature way of looking at life. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Autumn? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much thankful for everything as well. Um, I'm most thankful for good people um, in my career. I'm, I think, most thankful for people who've had a really positive influence on my life. And definitely you can count these two here mm-hmm. as part of that. They are just the most compassionate, kind, good-hearted people that you'll ever meet. Your final question of the interview, what is your favorite quote? Uh, Small acts, when multiplied by millions of people, can transform the world. Beautiful. Who said that? Do you know? It's Howard Zinn. I'm not sure. Oh, I Um, love Howard Zinn. He's fantastic. Um, So I I think that's what we've been trying to do here at the law firm is just, you know, the little things that we can do to, to help those who need it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Excellent. All right, Autumn. I'm a big fan of Fred Rogers. 
Mm -hmm. um, and one of my favorite quotes from him is, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And my add to that is where there is help, there is hope. Mm. And Carla and Rocio and I consider ourselves helpers. Love it. You truly are beautiful. All right, Carla, try to top that one. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you a short little poem. Oh, yeah. And we like this one so much, we just put it on our website. Oh. Um, this is by Emily Dickinson. Okay. She says, If I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not live in vain. If I can ease one life the aching, or cool one pain, or help one fainting robin unto his nest again, I shall not live in vain. I love that poem. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's beautiful. I'm yeah. so glad you shared that because I had not heard it. And I love it. It gave me goosebumps. <laughs> Thank you. That's a good one. Thank you for that. Where can people find you if they would like to reach out and uh, look you up? Um, it's loyallyllc.com. Okay. Um, so they can certainly find us there. We're on Facebook. I think if you search for Lawyer Lady on Facebook, you can okay. find us there. Yeah. Um, and through Facebook, there's a link to um, your website and yes. to your phone and address and all of that. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Well, thank you, ladies. It's been wonderful. I honestly had no idea that immigrants paid taxes. In fact, I never really thought about it. It was also news to me how much revenue those taxes generated. Equally surprising is the relatively small amount of social welfare consumed by immigrants. It's incredible the amount of power the media has to negatively or positively affect our opinion of an issue based on how they spin it. But it's on us to research and find out if what we hear is true or not, especially in today's society of alternative facts, conspiracy theories, and outright lies being substituted as news. Those who hold the power want to create fear in us about the issues we don't fully understand. But fear divides. If we're afraid, we should lean in, learn more, ask questions, seek answers outside of our own echo chambers, educate ourselves, and just make an effort to meet the people we've been told to fear. Only after doing the hard work for ourselves can we form our opinions from our experiences and our research. In effect, this is what this podcast is about, trying to learn more, seek answers, and ask people to teach me. Thank you for listening and joining me in this journey. You might be farther along than I am, and I thank you for your patience. Or you may be on the part of the path where you're still suspicious of what you hear and listen with very critical ears. That's good too. Thank you for giving this podcast a chance to help you reconsider certain issues. Critical thinking about issues is imperative to good dialogue. As Paolo Freire says, at the point of encounter, there are neither ignoramuses or sages. There are only people who are attempting together to learn more than they now know. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road. <laughs>